thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. All right, uh, well... Good morning, everybody. Uh, last week, I got to wish you all a Merry Christmas, and today I get to wish you all a Happy New Year. So it's the first Sunday of 2022, and again, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Colton Tatham, uh, the West Campus Pastor for Journey Bible Church. Uh, in case you missed the announcement last week, uh, we are about to launch in-person worship services at our new campus on the west side of Olathe. Uh, it's pretty exciting as a church here to be able to kick off the new year with something that's genuinely new. Uh, next Sunday is January 9th, and Jeff talked a little bit about team night, but in the morning we're going to be hosting a prayer of dedication at Prairie Center Elementary School, as well as a little bit of a tour of the school for our launch team. And if you are on the launch team or you want to learn more about the West Campus, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, feel free to join us for prayer at 9.30 next week. Uh, following the 9th, we'll have three Sundays of training, on-site training at the school that you all can be praying for. If all goes well and weather permitting, I know some of you are here and you're very brave to get here, so it took me 30 minutes to de-ice my car this morning, so, um, but I made it, and if you're brave enough and we have good weather, you know, we're hoping to have training for three weeks and then actually have our very first live worship service on the first Sunday of February, and that's February. 6th. Uh, ultimately, we're hoping this will all lead up to an Easter grand opening for the community on April 17th. And you know, it's never too early to start getting ready for Resurrection Sunday. So he is risen. Oh yeah, there we go. We got, we, we got the on point people here. Uh, first service of the year. So if you feel like 2022 is the year that you want to make some changes or it's a year you want to do something new, again, reach out to me if you have any questions about the campus or if you want to join the team or you just want to learn a little bit more about what's going on. Uh, for any of you who might live on the west side of Olathe, then you already know that there are some good, strong, faithful churches on that side of town, but you would also know that there are nowhere near enough churches to keep up with the growing families on that side of town. And we genuinely want every child, every home, every family to have the opportunity to grow up in a church that faithfully preaches the gospel, cares for Christians, and passionately follows Jesus. And we hope that Journey Bible Church West will be the congregation that God can use to really help meet the need on that side of town. With that said, uh, we've been taking a little bit of a short hiatus from our Ephesians sermon series for the holidays, uh, but we're going to be starting that series back up again next Sunday. So if you missed any of the messages and you want to play catch up, you can catch up on the messages. They're all uploaded uh, on our YouTube channel. Just type Journey Bible Church onto YouTube and you'll be able to subscribe, like, and watch sermons from actually both campuses in the future. Today, though, I want us to take a look at one of Paul's other letters, and that is the letter to the Philippians. As we head into the new year, I thought it'd be helpful to look at one of Paul's exhortations to the church in Philippians chapter 1. But before we do, let's pray for God's word. Dear Father God, 
we just want to thank you for this new year. And God, we confess that our resolutions may come and go, succeed or fade away. But Lord, we praise you. We truly praise you for never failing to fulfill your promises. God, in sending Jesus into this world, you've made it possible for us to have a new beginning, to become a new creation. So God, please lend us your spiritual strength to follow Jesus with greater devotion and faithfulness than years past. God, open our hearts and minds to receive your word, to be transformed by your word, and to do your word for your glory this year. God, all this we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, if you would... Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 27 and 28. And we're going to unpack just two verses today, but I hope you'll see that they're absolutely full of meaning and purpose to help us get ready for the new year. So if you would, follow along as I read now. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. In this letter, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that is near and dear to his heart. The church in Philippi was, in fact, the first church he planted in the continent of Europe during his second missionary journey. Like his letter to the Ephesians, this one was also written while Paul was imprisoned in Rome around 62 A.D., the large walled city of Philippi was itself refounded as a Roman colony by army veterans in about 42 BC. Philippi held a special status in the empire and it benefited from reduced taxes and increased opportunities for people to become landowners. The Philippian Christians themselves in this special town uh, developed a very strong reputation among the churches for being dedicated, faithful, and generous. But who were some of the Christians who made up the Philippian congregation? Well, the Bible actually names quite a few of them, but let's take a moment to remember just two. The first recorded believer in Philippi was a woman named Lydia. We're told in Acts that she was a successful businesswoman who sold cloth dyed in an imperial purple color. Now, this isn't K-State purple, nothing like that. This purple is the purple of kings and queens and as a Jayhawker, winners. So a fun fact history from history is that the purple that Lydia sold was likely called Tyrian purple. It's a kind of ultra deep red purple for royalty and imperial officials. And if you can believe it, extracting this unique purple dye in ancient times involved collecting it from tens of thousands of predatory sea snails of all things. 
It was a long, expensive process that led to the creation of very expensive luxury fabrics. Nothing portrayed wealth and status quite like Tyrian purple. Gotta love that snail oil. This means that when the Bible tells us that Lydia was a seller of purple, people in the first century Roman Empire would have immediately recognized that Lydia was a wealthy merchant of notable affluence. As she is the, recorded, the first recorded believer of Jesus in the Philippi, it's hard not to believe that Lydia's own dedication, her own faithfulness, and her own generosity went on to help build up the church there for future generations. She certainly left a legacy that's worth remembering. But there's another uh, member of the congregation I want us to remember, and his name is Epaphroditus. According to some historical records, it's possible that Epaphroditus was one of the first Christians appointed to lead the church after Paul helped to plant it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul calls Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Epaphroditus was the faithful servant from Philippi who made the long journey to Rome to visit Paul when he was in prison and to deliver the church's financial gift to help Paul pay for his own house arrest. You see, back in the Roman world, you often paid for your own imprisonment, even if you were a Roman citizen. Paul would have been completely dependent on the financial contributions of other churches. Without their faithfulness, who knows if he would have even been able to write his letter to the Philippians or the Colossians or the Ephesians or even to Philemon. Unfortunately, though, Epaphroditus becomes ill on the long journey. He makes it to Rome and he makes it to Paul but he almost dies from his sickness while in Rome with Paul. Thankfully, by the grace of God, he recovers and eventually is well enough to make the return journey back to Philippi. Paul, likely inspired by Epaphroditus risking his own life, the Philippian congregation's radical generosity, and of course the Holy Spirit of God, writes this short letter to commend and to encourage the Philippian Christians. All in all, he encourages them to take joy, to persevere, and to not give up. Today, as we start a new year, I think there are likely two concerns that are on everybody's mind. Sickness and money. Sickness and money. Some are facing or have faced in the past year, serious troubles with sickness. Some are facing serious troubles with money. No one that you meet these days is facing nothing. Everyone you meet is facing something. Whether it's sickness or money or something else, it's an encouragement to be able to come to God's word and to encounter followers of Jesus who were faithful in sickness like Epaphroditus and were faithful with their money like Lydia. So what can we learn 
from their faithfulness in the midst of any New Year concerns. Well, if we look to Philippians 1.27, we can see Paul's exhortation to the church. He writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. God's word doesn't say here, live in such a way as to earn the gospel, nor does it say, live your life in such a way because you deserve the gospel. Rather, Paul exhorts followers of Jesus like Epaphroditus and Lydia to live in a manner that is worthy, suitable, sensible, appropriate, and grateful of all the benefits the gospel of Christ brings. Paul goes on to say that whether or not he makes it out of prison to return to Philippi, he longs to hear that the Philippian Christians are living a gospel-worthy life. This verse reminds us that the real strength to face our concerns, our worries, or our troubles on the path ahead, they're not rooted in emptiness, it's not rooted in ourselves. Our strength to press on is rooted in the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus is the coming Lord who will judge every sin and right every wrong. The good news that Jesus is the Savior who has already come to redeem sinners by grace through faith. When we receive the gospel message, the good news with a sincere and believing heart, it changes everything. Through the gospel, we are united with Christ in spirit, in adoption, in prayer, and most of all, in salvation. And by the very nature of salvation, the power to live a gospel-worthy life starts by receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a show from the History Channel called Forged in Fire, that Kristen and I really enjoy watching. Anybody a fan of this show? Few of you. I must just watch odd movies and odd stuff. Well, in each episode, there are four blacksmiths that compete over the course of three rounds to forge some absolutely incredible weapons to withstand some of the craziest durability tests I've ever seen. The third round challenge is pretty cool because they send two of the blacksmiths to their home forge where they recreate actual weapons from history like swords, knives, crossbows, spears, throwing axes, things that you don't even know what, you name it. They, they make all this really cool stuff. Uh, one of the things that I learned about blacksmithing from watching the show is that you can only make a weapon that's as good as your billet. Now, if you don't know what a billet is, it's that rectangular metal bar that a blacksmith heats up in the forge, then kind of hammers into form, and then heat treats and sharpens into a blade. You see, flawed billets break. If your billet forms any defects, then it doesn't really matter how skilled of a blacksmith you are, you're going to end up with a flawed weapon with a crippling weakness. I've seen several blades snap, crack, and even shatter. Beautiful blades that don't stand up against the test from the judge. 
Now, receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ is a lot like receiving a flawless billet, the perfect material to forge into an incredible spiritual life. But I think a lot of people get duped into thinking they can just receive a good gift from God without changing the trajectory of their life. But when a true blacksmith gets the perfect material, he cannot help but forge that material into something truly worthy. So ask yourself this, what kind of life are you forging? What life are you forging? Are you forging the kind of life that's going to please the judge? Are you forging the kind of life that stays resilient and sharp under testing? Or have you been forging a life with a flawed billet lately? Philippians 1 teaches that if we truly follow Jesus, then we're going to want to forge the kind of life that shows the immeasurable worth of the gospel. Paul longs to see the Philippians forge themselves into the kind of congregation that he can be proud of. Not because they must make themselves acceptable to God, but because they've already received the great treasure of salvation from God and they believe Lord Jesus is worthy. Verse 27 says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. But what does it look like to forge our lives into something that is worthy enough for the king of heaven and earth? Well, Paul, like a master spiritual blacksmith, gives us three techniques. So let's see what they are in the text. So if you look there, he says in verse 27, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are number one, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, number two, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and number three, not frightened in anything by your opponents. The gospel-worthy life that God wants to see in us is standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and not afraid of anything our opponents throw at us. Another way we might put this is that a gospel-worthy life is firm, fixated, and fearless. A gospel-worthy life is firm, fixated, and fearless. God wants to see us forging our lives to be firm in one spirit, fixated for the gospel, and fearless of opposition. What I want to do next in this message is unpack each of these three marks of a gospel-worthy life one at a time. We're going to carefully unpack what the scripture says, and then we're going to consider how we can live a firm, fixated, and fearless life heading into 2022. So first, we're called to remain firm in one spirit. 
Verse 27 tells us that if you want your manner of life to be worthy, then you've got to stand firm. This means you've got to stay the course. You've got to be unshakable. And the posture that Paul describes is defensive. Standing firm in one's spirit is your spiritual defense. You may remember a few weeks ago, we had a major windstorm roll into town. The wind speeds were so strong, in fact, that the storm managed to rip off a huge section of wall paneling at the Aletha West High School. After the storm, at least in my neighborhood, it seemed there were more Christmas lights decorating lawns than on the houses. To stand firm in the Bible means to hold fast. It means to hold fast in such a way that when the winds of opposition are blowing in full force against you, they can't knock you down. Now, there are a lot of forms that these winds of opposition can take. Winds of opposition sometimes come in the form of doubt. Some of us may hear or see or experience something this new year that could cause us to doubt the gospel we've received or to quit forging the gospel-worthy life we've been called to live. Yet when the winds of doubt blow, a truly gospel-worthy life stands firm, holding fast to truth from the Lord. Winds of opposition may also arrive in the form of desire. There may be something you really want this new year, but to get it, you'd have to jeopardize your integrity, your word to others, or perhaps your commitments to your marriage and family. Yet when the winds of worldly desires blow, a truly gospel-worthy life stands firm, holding fast to holiness from the Lord. Holding fast to truth will help you against doubt. Holding fast to holiness will help you against desire. But verse 27 specifically says, we're to stand firm in one spirit. What exactly does this mean? Well, this is another case of classic Pauline writing where in the original Greek, the text can mean one of two things, and they're both theologically true. So when Paul writes one spirit, is he saying, stand firm in the Holy Spirit, or is he saying, stand firm together with one common purpose, one common spirit as people, unity? Well, if you're reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, uh, they actually try to help us with this translation. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that the word spirit is capitalized in Philippians 1.19 and in Philippians 2.1. But here in Philippians 1.27, the word spirit is not capitalized. The ESV translators do this to help us see when they feel the text is referring to God the Spirit himself and when the text is referring to a different usage of the word spirit in our English. Here in verse 27, I think it seems that Paul's emphasis is to call the Philippians to stand firm in unity, 
to be of one spirit is to be a church of one purpose. Now, he does go on to call the Philippians to participate in the work of the Holy Spirit in chapter 2. But again, I think unity is his purpose and his point here in verse 27. What this all means is that the best defense happens when we play as a team. When a local church truly shares a common purpose from God, it'll be undefeatable. When Christians are truly united in a gospel-worthy cause, they cannot be stopped. You see, holding fast to truth doesn't work very well when you're all alone. And holding fast to holiness doesn't work very well when you're all by yourself. If you want to stand firm, then you've got to do it united with others. This is what it means to stand firm in one spirit. Very practically, for some of you, this might mean that 2022 is the year that you've got to stop playing Lone Ranger Christianity. Maybe this is the year God is calling you to make church worship your biggest priority on Sunday, to honor the Sabbath, and to keep it holy. Just imagine what God might do in your life if you weren't afraid to tell an employer that Sunday worship is more important than your Sunday morning shift. Or just imagine what God might do in the spiritual lives of your kids and grandkids if corporate worship on Sundays was a bigger priority than recreational sports. A decade from now, will you be better off putting corporate worship in your church first or putting something else in the place of the house of God? Just imagine what God might do through you if you faithfully honored the Sabbath for a whole year. I know that for some, sickness and rehabilitation or icy streets may keep you at home for good reason, but wouldn't it be invigorating for your soul to commit yourself in good conscience to 52 Sundays of biblical, God-centered worship in a community of Christ followers? Maybe the New Year's resolution that God is calling you to make this year has less to do with self-improvement and more to do with faithfully giving your time to God. For others, maybe this is the year God is calling you to return to fellowship in a small group, or maybe to start getting into fellowship in a small group for the very first time. You know, as a church, we're actually on the verge of starting a lot of new groups really soon, and the new year is a good as time as any to get connected with others who want to help you thrive in your pursuit of Jesus. Now, most people tend to have some sort of competition that gets them excited. And so long as those competitors and those competitions, you know, don't become idols in our lives, there's a lot that God can actually teach us through competition. It's one of the reasons I think that Paul frequently uses competitions and sports as teaching illustrations in his letters. You know, some of us get really excited just for classic big team sports, football, basketball, soccer, baseball. 
Some of us might prefer esports, so we're, we're, we're good watching or playing MOBAs, fighters, shooters, strategy games, racing. Others love seeing those unique sports highlighted in the Olympics, like swimming or fencing or skateboarding. While some of us enjoy just a good MMA fight card. In most kinds of competition, players can't win without scoring. Fighters can't win without landing some hits. And racers can't win by just maintaining their vehicles or their bikes or their gear. You can't win by playing defense alone. To win, you've got to play some offense too. I think that the challenge that some Christians face is that they try to play spiritual defense all the time without any offense. Or you might flip it around, they play offense without any defense. And Paul makes it clear here in these verses that if we're to live a gospel-worthy life, then we need both. So not only is a gospel-worthy life one that is firm in one's spirit, but it is also fixated for the gospel. If you look in your Bibles, the end of Philippians 1.27 goes on to say this. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving is your spiritual offense. God's word is telling us that standing firm in one's spirit is your shield and striving side by side for the gospel is our sword. We can see here that Paul continues to emphasize unity. To live a gospel-worthy life is to be of one spirit, one mind, striving side by side with other believers. The idea of sharing one mind or one soul here is the idea that we are fixated on a common mission, and that mission is the gospel. As believers, we are to share the same objective for victory, and we are to march together to get there. Sometimes when things are hard or when circumstances are confusing, we can lose sight of our mission as Christians. But if we want to see our church move from defense from the world and into offense to overcome the world, then whatever we're doing must move as a united front to advance more faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word for strive in this verse is an athletic term, and it means to contend, to struggle, to compete. The implication is that striving takes hard work. In defense, you wait for the opposition to come to you. But in offense, you have to do the hard work of taking the fight to the opposition. One commentator named Peter O'Brien writes this about these verses. He says, Paul pictures the Philippian Christians as wrestlers or gladiators in this arena of faith. The Philippians are to present themselves as a united and unwavering front against the attacks of the enemy in their conflict for the gospel. So, in a sense, Paul is calling for the multitude of individual believers who make up the Philippian church 
to be so unified, it would be as if any opposition were contending against one grand spiritual warrior. Now, there are a lot of good things that churches can do and have done for the world, but there is only one thing that the church can do that no other institution in the world can, and that is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as a missional, unified body. Local churches are the spiritual communities that God has given the world to herald our Lord and Savior, to equip the believers for ministry, and to preach the good news of salvation. With another new year, let's take God's word to heart and not get distracted. Let's stay focused on the mission for faith. Let's be willing to share the good news that we've received from God to others, and let's be confident enough to invite people to come and see how Jesus can transform us as a spiritual community. To help Journey Bible Church move to the offense, perhaps there is someone that you know that's in our city that you can be praying for right now. Perhaps there is someone in our community that you can invite to come to church or to a small group this year. Perhaps God is calling you to play some offense. Let's say that last year, 2021, was just a bad year for you. Let's say that you follow Jesus, but you went a whole 365 days, I don't even know how many hours that is, without inviting a single person to church. Woo. Is that a gospel-worthy life? Now, if that was the bad year you had, let me say this. Please don't get distracted by what you didn't do or what you should have done. The opposition wants you to get stuck in a would have, could have, should have mentality. Instead, make this year, make 2022 the year that you prayerfully commit yourself to being an inviter. Invite one more person to come and see the good news than you did from last year. Pray to God, believing that he will put new people on your path that you can invite to come hear the word on Sunday or to come study the word with you one-on-one. -on -one. Because the great thing about being an inviter is, is that you don't need any training, you don't need any equipping to simply say, come and see. Any Christian and every Christian is called to play some kind of offense for the church. A well-forged spiritual life will stand firm in defense and strive fixated on offense. And lastly, it'll be fearless of any opposition. No matter the circumstance, a gospel-worthy life aspires to be fearless. Since standing has to do with defense and striving has to do with offense, I like to think that fearlessness has to do with our war face, our attitude. According to Philippians 1.28, when you are not frightened in anything by your opponents, then you have put on the war face. You have put on the team jersey. 
The opposite of marching forward is retreating backwards. When Moses sent out the spies into the promised land in the book of Exodus, the Israelites had already defeated overwhelming armies, they had survived plagues, and they had successfully navigated the desolate Sinai wilderness all with God's help. So when a handful of these spies return and tell the people of God that, you know what, it'd be better to retreat. It'd be better to just stick with what we know. You know what? This awful, desolate desert, it's not so bad. The report that these spies gave proves that they were thinking with a human perspective and not with a God-sized, God-inspired, faith-filled perspective. When we feel afraid of facing opposition in our personal lives, for our faith, then we've forgotten to put on our spiritual war face. That's when we've forgotten that our God can control disease and plagues. Our God can command kingdoms to rise and fall. And our God can overwhelm any opposition. If we are truly and actively believing that this is our Lord, like Joshua did, then we'd be filled with the spiritual courage from our Lord, and there would be absolutely nothing that we would be afraid of. You know, the reason why God allows us to endure opposition and to suffer from calamity is not because God is cruel but because the spiritual process of reforging us into the image of Jesus Christ is painful. Sin is a nasty enemy, and death is a terrible foe. It took the suffering and crucifixion of God the Son himself to free us from these cruel and heinous forces. And it is in seasons of suffering that the Bible commands us to count them as joy because the testing of our faith is what produces spiritual steadfastness. How can you prove that you've remained firm in one spirit if you've never been tested with a doubt? How can you prove You've remained fixated on the gospel if you've never wrestled with a worldly distraction. How can you prove you're fearless of opposition if you always try to avoid opposition? In the words of one of my favorite Switchfoot songs, the shadow proves the sunshine. The shadow proves the sunshine. You see, Verse 28 ends with a promise. It says, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Another way of paraphrasing this verse might be, Don't be afraid of anything, because whenever your opposition sees you living a gospel-worthy life, remember 
They will sense their own mortality in your presence, and you can be sure of eternal salvation from God. You see, the promise here is a sign of assurance. If you want to be fearless, then you've got to lay claim of the promises of God, the man of God or the woman of God whose soul is being forged into something worthy of the gospel is the man or woman who keeps standing firm, who keeps striving side by side, who keeps fearless even in opposition. Perseverance is the sign to look for when others retreat, when others give up, and when you press on in spiritual fearlessness. This is the sign that God has given you to remind you that he is at work and that he is at work to save you and to make you into a new creation in Christ. Now, some of you might recognize this picture up on the screen as a picture of Damascus steel. It's a Damascus steel knife. Uh, this knife was the winner of one of the episodes of Forged in Fire, and the process of making Damascus steel is pretty difficult, uh, especially if you're not just making it for show, but to actually use in competition. First, you have to expertly forge your billet, but you do so with several different layers of metal. And even the tiniest gap or air pocket in the layers can cause the final blade to break on impact. Then, after the metal billet has been forged, it must be twisted around and around and around while it's red hot in order to get those beautiful patterns on the blade to show up. This not only creates incredible strength, but it just makes the coolest looking knives. Now, earlier in this message, I asked a question. I asked, what life are you forging? But I think it's just as important for us to ask ourselves, what is God forging in you? In many ways, God is forging us into something far greater than we can ever envision. And he is determined that his forging process will take place for the days that we're here on earth. And that means some of us are going to take longer to forge than others. But no matter what, as we head into New Year together, remember that God is forging you into something truly special. So if you can only accomplish one thing in 2022, then let it be the words of Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that nothing crafted by human hands comes near to the grandeur of what you craft through the power of your word. Father God, forgive us for stepping back in moments that we would have, should have, we would have and should have stood firm for our faith in Jesus. And God, please forgive us for getting distracted by the world Lord, when we should have and could have been fixated on our gospel mission. And please, God, forgive us for retreating when you called us to be courageous and to be bold. So, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, help us as we head into a new year to leave the past behind. 
Help us to receive your saving grace in the gospel and to hunger for guidance from your word every day. So Father God, as followers of your son, we commit ourselves to you now to living out a gospel-worthy life. All this we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus and all God's people said, amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.